us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We open our mouths and pant because we long for your commandments. Turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your way with those who love your name. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach us your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering a series together through the book of Philippians and we've come to the end of the book. Philippians chapter 4. Some people have asked me what we're doing next. Um, Be patient, we're not done yet. Um, But uh, next we hope to go through some psalms, uh, maybe the first four psalms, um, and then uh, into something for the Christmas season. So uh, that's the general plan. But we're not done with Philippians yet, so you can turn with me to the end of Philippians chapter 4. Our text for this morning will be uh, the end of the book, verses 14 through 23. Uh, But just to remind us of the context, I'm going to begin our reading at verse 10. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning our reading at verse 10, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. I rejoice greatly in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, we've come to the wonderful ending of a wonderful letter. Um, it's, it's been a, a letter filled with joy. Paul's rejoiced in this church. He's spoken to them a lot about Christian identity, about Christian thinking, about Christian living, about the Christian hope of glory. Um, all marvelous things for God's people to think about and to be reminded of. And that's all been centered around the Lord Jesus Christ who makes all of these things a reality, who makes all of these things possible. Um, All of this happens in him and by him and through him, uh, everything that Paul has shared with this church. Um, And it's a beautiful ending, and in this ending, Paul gives us a wonderful reminder 
that he has been richly supplied in Christ Jesus, that the church will be richly supplied in Christ Jesus, and all God's people can know that they will be richly supplied by Christ for everything they need for life in this world. Uh, It's a wonderful reminder to God's people that God will give his people everything they need for life in this world, and that will all come to them in Christ. As it's come to Paul, so it will come to the church. A wonderfully fitting way to end this letter. Um, And how does Paul speak about being richly supplied in Christ? How does he help us to think through these things? Well, he talks about first a caring church, secondly about a giving God, and finally about an abiding unity. That's how we want to think about uh, this last part of the letter together. A caring church, a giving God, and an abiding unity, all showing how we are richly supplied by our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Paul begins by thanking this church for being such a caring church to him. Um, he, he's very thankful for what they've done for him, very thankful for their care for him. Um, he begins by saying that their care was very kind, that it was kind of them to share his trouble. Um, you know, in that word kind, it's, it's good and praiseworthy, it's, it's lovely. Um, it's a marvelous thing Paul is celebrating here. Uh, maybe, maybe kind doesn't completely capture it in English, but he's so thankful that they've been willing to share his trouble in this way, in this good and praiseworthy way, this lovely way. Their care for him was very kind. Uh, their, their care for him was also very timely. It, it came to Paul in exactly the time he needed it, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of his chains. Remember we said that the Roman government didn't, they, they would put you in chains, but your care was your business. Um, you had to provide for yourself. Um, and so Paul, in the midst of his chains, receives this lovely gift from the church. It, it was timely, and there's a certain sense in which he said, you know, your help was kind to share me, to share with me in my trouble. It was timely, it was just at the right time. I needed it, and it was somewhat unique. Uh, This church had supported Paul in a way that other churches had not. He makes that point in verses 15 and 16. You yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Um, this was a church that continued to support Paul um, in his missionary journeys. If we went to Acts 17 and looked at Paul going to Thessalonica, he was supported by the Philippian church there. That enabled him to minister in Thessalonica without anyone in Thessalonica needing to provide for him. Um, if we were to keep reading through the book of Acts in, in chapter 18, when he arrives in Corinth, he begins to be a tent maker there with Priscilla and Aquila. We, we, often, we often talk about tent making capacities in ministry, where someone is, is working a part-time job to be able to fund their ministry. And why did Paul want to do that? Well, he didn't want people thinking that he was traveling place to place to profit off of his teaching. Um, He didn't want the churches that he was coming to and just beginning to start to feel as if they needed to support him so that there might be some kind of mixed message being sent, that he was somehow doing this for profit. 
Um, and so he began as a tent maker in Corinth so that he could make his own way and not have to rely on the church. But we're told that when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was able to begin devoting himself exclusively to ministry. Um, and the implication seems to be there that the support that arrived from churches like the Philippian church enabled him to put aside his tent making and devote himself fully to ministry. Uh, this was a church that supported him time and time again. Um, and he makes that point in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 9. When I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. This was a church that was somewhat unique in helping Paul time and again when he was apart from them. Providing for his needs so they wouldn't have to be a burden on other people. Um, and so their care for him was kind, it was timely, um, it was somewhat unique, and it was abundant. Um, the scriptures make the point in other places, these were not rich churches that were giving out of abundance of their riches. These were poor churches. And yet the help that they gave enabled Paul to abound. He makes that point in verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. I am well supplied. Uh, that, that's the same word for abundance that he used in verse 12 when he said, I know how to abound. Uh, there it was the opposite of being in poverty and need. Right? I know what it is to be in poverty. I know what it is to abound. Um, that was the other extreme. And he's saying, I'm now abounding because of the gifts you gave. I, I'm well supplied. I have everything that I need. Um, and so he wants to make it clear, too, he's not thanking them and hoping that they'll take another collection and send it his way. Um, he's, he's saying, you, you've given what I need. I'm, I'm well supplied. I've received everything you sent from Epaphroditus. Um, I'm, I'm well supplied. Um, and, and in talking about the care that they've given to him, he moves into using two different metaphors uh, for their care. The first one being a sort of banking or an accounting metaphor. Um, we see that in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Um, that this is not just giving to me so that I can profit, but Paul says this actually goes to your credit. This is actually a deposit you're making in your own account. Um, and I, and I want to make sure that you understand that it's not so much that I'm receiving the gift, but I'm enjoying the fact that you have reached out in your concern and care for me, like we talked about last time, but that that increases to your credit, uh, that that goes as a deposit for you before the Lord. Um, a wonderful example of how much you care, a wonderful example of how much you've done for the Lord and for his kingdom that actually their giving gifts to him has involved them receiving credit. Um, it's a wonderful way of saying by building me up, you're actually building yourselves up um, before the Lord. And that's when he switches from the banking metaphor to the worship metaphor. And says, how, did, how is this building up to your credit? Not because I'm provided for, or not because you are, are gaining anything by your work, you're earning something by what you've done, but because what you're doing is glorifying to the Lord. Ultimately, what you've done in showing care for me is something that's pleasing to God when he sees his children engaging in this kind of help for one another. 
And that's when the banking metaphor of accounting and debits of giving and receiving turns into this wonderful worship metaphor. Because it's not just pleasing to Paul, it's pleasing to God. And that's what we see in verse 18. I receive full payment, I'm well supplied, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This comes up before him as something good, as something glorious, as something God-honoring. And that really, at the end of the day, is what a, a caring church does in the world. It glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. It magnifies God. It, it pleases him to see members in the church caring for one another. Um, and that, that should be a good reminder to us when we, when we care for one another in the church. Uh, there, there are all kinds of things that we do to show that we care for each other. Um, and not all of them get taken notice of. There, there are many people in the church who are doing things for each other that, that no one will ever know about. Right, that, that won't be brought up at the annual business meeting, that won't, you know, no one will really take serious notice of it. Um, you may even be tempted at times to think you don't do much for the church. And yet, all of these things are, are coming before God as a pleasing aroma before Him. Um, even the prayers that you offer for the church in secret that no one knows about but you and God, um, it's still God knows, and it comes before Him as a pleasing aroma. Um, it's a wonderful thing to be a giving and a caring church. Um, it's an amazing thing that, that I don't have to make tents. I wouldn't be very good at it. Um, so that's, that's good for me. I might go hungry if I had to live by my tent making skill. Um, but it's an amazing thing that, that we're able to devote ourselves to ministry. And that's down to the generosity of the church. Um, and not just us, but interns that are supported by the church, missionaries that are supported by the church. It, it, it's an it's a example of the care that you have, not just for us, but also for the work of the gospel going forth in the world. And when we do that as a church, when we support the gospel ministry, when we support each other, those things are building up credit for us. Not because we're earning something for God, but because it's glorifying to God when he sees this. Um, and God heaps rewards on people out of his grace. Um, and so we don't do any of these things to earn credit before God in the sense of having him owe us something. But Paul says when we do things that glorify God, it rises up to him as a sweet aroma. And it actually does redound to our credit. Because God is glorified for how we care for one another. And Paul doesn't want this church in Philippi to think that their care for God's people has gone unnoticed. He says, I notice it and I'm thankful. But more important, God notices it and it's glorifying to him. Um, God doesn't miss it when we do small things for each other. Um, they come up before him as a pleasing aroma. He's pleased when we do these things. And that should be enough for us in and of itself, shouldn't it? To do good because God is pleased by it. And it brings glory to his name. A caring church is a wonderful thing. Um, and Paul wants them to know that he's been richly supplied by their care. Um, they've been a caring church. 
He also wants to see how they've been cared for. They've been able to richly supply him because we have a giving God. Why do we have anything to give one another? Because we have a generous God who gives to us. Um, And Paul records a glorious promise in verse 19 to this caring church. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful, wonderful promise. Um, This is a verse worth taking note of and meditating on. Paul is so thankful for the supply that they have given to him, but he recognizes where that supply ultimately comes from. It comes from a giving God. And that Paul, despite his travels, despite his tribulations, has always been supplied by God. And I think that's why he says, my God will supply your need. Um, Not because God is not their God as well, but why would Paul say my God? Because Paul is talking about being richly supplied by God, even in the midst of his chains. Right, something that can be easily looked over and easily passed over. The fact that Paul is sitting there in chains for the sake of the gospel, and yet God is richly pouring out blessings on him. Blessings on his ministry. People are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he's in chains. Right, He's bound, but the gospel's not bound. It's still going out. He's in chains, unable to supply his own needs, and yet the needs that he has are just met by churches pouring gifts into him. So he can say, you know, I'm sitting here in chains, but the work is going forward. I'm well supplied. And where does that come from? It comes from my God. And if my God can meet my needs in my condition, then my God can certainly meet your needs in your condition. That's what he's celebrating here. My God will supply all of your needs as he supplied all of my needs, even in the midst of my chains. God is a God who supplies our needs and actually supplies every need. Right? That's a wonderful part of that promise as well. My God will supply every need of yours. What, what do you have that you need this morning? We're not going to go around the room. We don't have the time. Um, pastors always go long anyway. We just don't have the time. But what are you sitting there that you need? Here's a promise from our God. He will supply that need. It's a wonderful reminder of the unlimited knowledge of our God. He knows what his people need. He knows what his children need. And Paul comes with this wonderful promise that whatever you need, God knows. In fact, he knows it better than you know it. Right? Sometimes we come to God and say, God, I really need this. And he says to us, no, you don't really need that. You actually need something else. You think you need healing. You actually don't need healing right now. What you need is grace. You think you need out from under, but you don't really need out from under. You need everlasting arms underneath you while you're enduring. We have a God who actually knows what we need better than we know it ourselves. And he says to us, every need that I know about, I will meet. He has unlimited knowledge and his promise to his people 
is unlimited in that, in that respect. He not only knows what we need, he promises that he will supply what is needed. Right? Uh, my God will supply every need. We have a God who's not only unlimited in what he knows, but he's unlimited in what he can do. That's the wonderful knowledge of having a God in heaven who is not limited. We brought up uh, John, Ro- John D. Rockefeller in our sermon last week and that, that famous exchange that someone had with him and said, how much will be enough? He was worth probably in today's dollars about $340 billion with a B. And how much would be enough? Remember what his response was? Just a little bit more. billion is a lot of resources, but those resources are still limited. It's a lot of money, but you could run out of that kind of money. Our God is unlimited in his resources. He doesn't lose anything by giving. That's why our God is such a generous God. He's not like us. We don't really understand unlimited resources. We have limited resources Right? We, we understand we have to be careful with what we have. We have to be careful with our time. We have to be careful with our money because we don't have unlimited time. We don't have unlimited money. God has unlimited time and unlimited money. He's not resource poor. That's why he can afford to be generous with his people and say to us, do you have needs? I will supply them until they are all met. Um, God never comes back to us and says, I'd love to help, but I can't. That's the wonderful promise here. What we need, he has. And if we ever came to him and said, you know, your, your grace has been rich to me, but I need more. Well, the word reminds us he gives more grace. He says to us, you need more, you may have it. There's not a single need that he will not meet. That's not the same thing as saying, I'll meet every want that you have. Right? There are things we want that we don't get. This is not, you know, break the piggy bank and get whatever you want. Health and wealth, prosperity gospel here. This is God saying, if you have a need, I will meet it. I will meet every need that my people have. I have the knowledge of what you need and I have the ability to supply what you need. Um, it's a wonderful testimony of Psalm thirty-seven twenty-five. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Uh, that, that's the psalmist's testimony on his life. Now that doesn't mean that, that God's people are never in material need. Right? The psalmist who wrote that did beg for bread one time from the priests at the temple. Um, and what happened? God met that need. Um, but it's a reminder to us, that's the kind of God we have. That he never forsakes the righteous. He never fails to supply what we need um, out of the unlimited, unlimited quantity of his riches. Right? That's, that's where Paul also directs our attention under the influence of the Holy Spirit. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches 
in glory. God's God's resources are not just unlimited in that sense. They're unlimited not just in quantity, but in quality. God's riches are glorious. The things he can give his people are far beyond gold and silver. His riches are glorious. We could summarize the promise in this way. God will generously supply glorious riches to needy Christians. I like that summary. It's not mine. Um, God will generously supply glorious riches to needy Christians. And how do we know that he will do that? Because he does it in Christ Jesus. Right? right that, it would be a glorious statement if it ended in that. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. That would be a wonderful promise. But it doesn't stop there. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How do we know that God will supply every need that we have? Because he's met the greatest need that we had with the gift of his son. What is the greatest thing that we needed as a people of God? We were dead in sin and trespass. We were under the condemnation of God. We couldn't save ourselves. We didn't even really know how dead we were. And what did God do? He sent his son into the world to save sinners. He sent his spirit into our hearts to make us alive. To come to him when we couldn't come to him on our own. He's given us his son. Talk about the glorious riches of heaven. That's the best of what heaven has. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has given him to us. And that, that's why Paul makes that, that wonderful argument that we come back to again and again. I repeat it all the time because I need to be reminded of it and I want you to be reminded of it and I want it to be on our hearts and on our minds. When Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us the most glorious riches that heaven has. There's nothing more valuable in heaven than the Son of God. The Son whom He loved, with whom He was well pleased. And He gave Him to you. Do you think there's anything else that He has that He won't give you? Anything else in the riches of heaven that He will not make yours if He's given you Christ? Christ is the one who meets our needs. He's the supplier and our supply. He's what we need for life in this world, and He's been given to us. And God promises that with Him, He will give us all that we need. And so what, what can Paul do but break forth into praise? Right When he meditates on the truth of that for himself, the truth of that for the church in Philippi, the truth of that for the church in every generation. What can he do but praise the God who's done it? And say in verse 20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Glory to the God who is so generous that he would give his riches to people like us. That he would promise to meet every need that we have out of his glorious riches 
in Christ Jesus? What can we do but sing glory to God? To this God who is not just our God, but our Father. Our God and Father who loves us. What can we say but to Him be glory? And because He does this for His people forever and ever, how can we do anything but sing glory to Him forever and ever? And he ends with amen, which is always an important word. It means this will surely be. These are not hopes. I hope God will supply every need of yours. That's a very different statement, isn't it? Than to say, my God will supply every need of yours out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Boys and girls, usually when I say amen, I'm done, but I have a third point. Um, so we're not, we're not done quite yet. Because we're richly supplied not just with a caring church and a giving God, but with an abiding unity. And that's what we see briefly as we, as we come to a close of this letter. We see an abiding unity. That's what Paul had wanted to do when he came to the church in the first place. Remember we had talked about all those weeks ago that Paul's intention was to come to the church and to wrap his arms around the whole church in the way he greeted them. Greeting the elders, greeting the deacons, greeting all of the brothers and sisters. He'd intentionally wrapped his arms around the whole church to make sure everyone feels included in everything that he says. He did that at the beginning, he does that at the end. He wants the whole church to be included in his final farewell and in the greetings that he brings in Christ's name. Um, And so he ends with this important reminder of the unity of the church that is so important and so precious. And his parting words emphasize that unity. Um, what, What does he say in closing to the church? He points to the unity that the church has in brotherly love. The unity that the church has across the, the times and places in which it exists. Because he brings greetings from people they probably most of them don't know. Um, but, but greetings that are nevertheless from their brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Right? That would have been wonderful to hear in that letter as the church in Philippi, to be sitting there, however few they were, to have Paul said, you know what? Greet every one of them. Greet every one of them in Christ Jesus. The greetings are for everyone. Uh, the brothers who are with me greet you. Um, there, there is a church in this place where I am, even in the midst of my chains, and they send you greetings. I send you greetings. The brothers who are with me send greetings. Probably Timothy and also Luke maybe um, are with him, but he's saying these brothers you know send greetings, and these brothers you don't know send greetings. All the saints here greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Um, what a wonderful reminder to the church in Philippi that might feel very small and might feel very unimportant to be reminded that they had brothers and sisters even in Caesar's household. Um, it, take, it takes a kind of special turn when we think about the fact that Caesar at the time was probably Nero. Um, it's a wonderful reminder to us as we read. He might have hated Christians, but there were Christians in his household. Um, Paul might be bound, but the gospel's not bound. 
And we know that being restrained by the emperor's guards has allowed the gospel to get into the emperor's household. And there are saints in Caesar's household that send their greetings. The church is more than just us. When we feel very small in the world, it's good to be reminded that the church is more than just us. Um, I I remember uh, one of our church planners saying, if you look at Christianity in America, and you look at all of the Napark churches, so all of the Reformed churches of all their denominations, he said if if American Christianity was was a football stadium, all of us together as Reformed churches would be five seats in that stadium. We can feel very small. We can feel very small. Um, But the church is not limited there. Right? God has gone far further than we can imagine in bringing the gospel to the ends of the world. Um, And so we might feel very small, but there are Christians everywhere who know the Lord Jesus Christ and who we are united to in brotherly love uh, by our God. And so we're reminded of this brotherly unity that exists from love, from Christian to Christian. The brothers send their greetings, all the saints send their greetings. Everyone greets you. Greetings from all to all. And it's not just a unity in brotherly love, it's also a unity in divine grace. Because Paul ends not just with greetings from fellow Christians as rich as those are, but from the, with the blessing of our God. Right, he ends in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Um, that's how he so often ends his letters, with a reminder of grace. But even in this imp- imparting divine grace to them as, as Christ's apostle, he reminds them of the unity they have. Because your is plural, spirit is singular. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your, plural, spirit, singular. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of many people from diverse backgrounds. They come from different places, they look different, they have different political affiliations, but in Christ, what is true of all of us? We have one spirit. We are one in spirit, brought together as one by the Lord Jesus Christ. And his grace comes to the church that is of one spirit in him. It's a wonderful reminder of the unity we have in the grace of God. And this too is not a wish. It is a pronouncement. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. And so Paul ends this letter of great joy by reminding God's people that we are greatly supplied in the Lord Jesus Christ, with all of the glorious riches of heaven to meet all the needs that we have now and forever through our God and Father. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the glorious provision that you have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and how that assures us that you will supply out of your glorious riches every need that we have. We thank you for your caring church that shows forth your love in this world, and we pray that more and more by your grace and spirit, we would be that kind of church. We're thankful for the care that you've given and that's demonstrated in this church, and we pray that we would do that more and more 
uh, that people would look to us and see a church that cares for God and for his people. Uh, We pray that you would continue to bless us and supply us out of your grace. We thank you for your generosity. We acknowledge that we are a needy people, but we thank you that you are such a great and generous God. We pray that we would continue to look to you for everything that we need and to have confidence that you will supply our need out of your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And thank you for that abiding unity that you have created in the church. May we seek to manifest that unity more and more and rest in the fact that you have made us one spirit by your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to rejoice in these truths. Help us to live them and manifest them in our lives that you might be glorified, that everything we do might rise before you as a pleasing aroma, a sacrifice of praise to your glorious name. Hear us and help us in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.